Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Pray with me right now, if you would. Oh Lord, we want more of you. We say we're desperate for you. We just sang that. Help us to see what that means beyond an expressed desire to a demonstrated behavior. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we have built a foundation. When we moved from Brooklyn many years ago out to Chicago to go to seminary, uh, we didn't have a place to live yet, and so we went directly to my parents' home, which was in the Chicago area. They were gone, my, the house, of course, that I grew up in, and we got there, and uh, just my wife and I, and we found that out the backside of the house was a foundation for a porch that my dad was going to build uh, right off this ranch, and it had been poured, and, and so I just thought this was the coolest thing. So we had a party, called all the friends that we had in that area, you know, that I'd grown up with and everything else, and these young couples, and we all come over, came over, they all came over, and we had a, a barbecue, and I burned brats, literally. Um, and, I, and we celebrated, because this was cool, because this foundation promised something more. Now, it was nothing but a slab at the time, but it promised so much more. And we had to celebrate it, so we did. I'm going, look at this, man, this is great. This is a place we can, you know, gather and have a good time, and, but it was just a slab. Yet, it promised something more. However, if my father had never built upon the slab, he would have been a fool. In fact, that's exactly what Luke chapter 14 says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he not for a porch? Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough to finish and complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him and say, this fellow began to build but was not able to finish. Instead, it did happen. The foundation was built upon, and they moved beyond the initial stability and even the ability in good weather to have a party to raising the walls. The difficulty of putting on the roof and of of finishing everything inside. And as you can imagine, I had to be a part of that too. So we need to move on, slackers. No, there weren't many of you here last week. Uh, I mean, dear friends, chapter 6, verse 9. Dear friends, I know better. I, I have so much greater a confidence in you that we'll move beyond this, he says. And we can, because God has made a promise. <coughs> Excuse me. I introduced the idea of a promise. Last week we considered deepening our understanding 
of that promise. And, and we did a review of the, of the foundation, of, of the slab that we've built in these first five chapters of Hebrews. And they're essential because you've got to have something to build upon. And we do need to understand all that God has done in Christ Jesus, that, that we now have the confidence to move forward on. So we did a review, but then we gave a reason why we have to move beyond that. And that was kind of the ouch, chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, the, the slacker passage, right? You know, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn. You should be eating meat by now, but you're still drinking milk. We've got to move on, right? That was the, the reason. You see, he doesn't just want to communicate something to us. He wants to complete something in and through us. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and move on to maturity. And then we also took some time to realign. You see, we reviewed and, and we reminded ourselves and then we realigned. What would help us at that 25th mile when we feel like it's time to give up to press on? A promise. The promise of God. What it affirms is greater than any lie the enemy can ever tell you. And so I asked Scott Millard to share this powerful, painful, and yet fruitful story of his and Deb's realignment. And and we heard real doubt, deep pain, anger, frustration, loss, disillusionment. But you also heard of deeper growth and greater victory and significant searching that was rewarded. Experiences that would never want to be repeated, but would also never be exchanged for all that they brought to all involved. And you heard about stronger relationships and a deepening dependence on the one relationship with the Heavenly Father that became more aligned in priority over everything else. All because God promised. Powerful stuff. But in the spirit of our author here, it can't stop with a great story about another person. That kind of growth, maturity, development, deepening, must be the pursuit of every one of us so that God completes everything He wants to in and through us. So there's the promise. I must deepen my understanding of it. And today we're going to move beyond that. But just before we do, I'd like us to just step back for a second and see the broader picture. This is a, this is a, a step back overview class. Okay, And I just want to to remind you of of where we are. When we began this whole, it's better to gather journey, um, we began at the beginning of Hebrews. And I first explained to you getting where we're going, the final destination, why it's better to gather. And we looked at that in chapter 1 and chapter 10. And I gave you uh, three reasons why it's better to gather. See, that was first to establish why it's better to gather, the destination, what it's all about. That's important. And we're going to return to the importance of that principle this morning. And I gave you three reasons. And I'm not going to repeat them. If you want them, they're on the website. You can go back and get them. But then what we did 
is we move to uh, the second part, these first four or five chapters, it's four and a half chapters or so, um, of getting what God has given, you see, and, and establishing that gathering at the beginning, beginning, the foundation. And now, from the end of chapter five, really, you do understand, right, that the chapters, headings, and verses are not inspired. The Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed. Every word of it. Uh, but the verses and the chapters were kind of set up by man later on, okay? So sometimes they don't break perfectly with thoughts of, of the author. So when you get towards the end of chapter 5, I think he switches thoughts into chapter 6, okay? But roughly speaking, first five chapters of that foundation. And then end of 5 beginning into 6 through the rest, through 13, is what I'm calling getting why we're gathering, completing the purpose, Right? And this is about purpose beyond salvation, beyond the, the solid slab, to completing all that He has begun. It's, it's what's from here to there, from my salvation to my glorification and all that is in between. And this is chapter 6 and 13. And I find five major areas in which we must grow. Take it to the next level. And these are, and, and they should be listed on the slide there, yeah, receiving, relationship, rest, resilience, and resistance. There's a difference between those two. And this is the way I've got it right now. I'm still unearthing this. I don't promise that this may not change as I go along and I'm digging into this. But, but this is what I see. I see these broad areas that we want to address. <clears throat> receiving all that he wants us to understand. Um, and then relationships with him and with others. We're going to jump back to chapter 13 and see that one and how important this author believes that is. Um, and then rest. Ah, can't wait to get there, right? Yeah, let's talk about rest. We like rest. Um, that'll be critically important uh, so that we're prepared for resistance and, uh, and resilience that will come after that. Uh, so we're going to get into that as we go. I just wanted you to see kind of where we're headed in chapter 6 and 13 and what this is all about and taking it to the next level. And we've already begun the concept of receiving by talking about God's promise. And I'm going to continue on that this Sunday and next Sunday. And then we're going to move through the rest of these a few uh, Sundays on each one of them. So that's the overview. But it's also why in your notes that you have in there, the first page is, is fuller than usual. I wanted you to see this overview um, and where we're headed. And now you want to flip that over and look at the back side. If we're going to move forward, what does that first mean? If we're really going to just not just talk about Christ and the elementary essential truths of salvation, but, but then move beyond, what does that first mean? It means that we receive the promise. Okay, what does that look like? Well, last week, as I said, that was about deepening my understanding of that promise. It's true, it's real, it's trustworthy. It may just not be what you think it is. And that's what Scott so uh, clearly was able to show us. Remember his frustration with Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you know? I have these plans for you to prosper you. You call this prospering? Not to harm you? You've got to be kidding. Right? But But then what he... He went back and studied the promise and began to understand that it was different than what he thought it was. You see, that's one of the deepening steps, is deepening our understanding of what that 
promise is what He has in store for us. This week, I want us to understand that we can trust it. And next week, we're going to talk about acting on it. So the promise of God, what it affirms, is greater than any lie the enemy can possibly tell you. And so to help us with this concept of trusting it, I want to use this interlude. Watch this carefully. refuse to believe that I can see. One has to accept life of darkness. Years from now I can only tell my children not to believe that simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. It doesn't matter to God that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. No longer can it be said that there is a God who hears the cries of his people. My whole life testifies to one truth. Blindness has robbed me of every good thing. And it is no longer true that God saved me from the Spirit. I don't know much. Born blind, with no hope and no future. But then I met Jesus. And he turned everything in my life upside down. I was born blind with no hope and no future. Now I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it is no longer true that blindness has robbed me of every good thing. My whole life testifies to one truth. There is a God who hears the cries of his people. No longer can it be said that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. It doesn't matter to God that I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. Simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that one has to accept a life of darkness. I can see. And I refuse to believe that I am lost in blindness. Interesting, isn't it? Powerful. From which end do you read life? From the beginning to the end? Or from the end to the beginning? Did you also notice that slide should come up again? Right now, if you would. The change in the picture. Probably didn't notice. But previously, the slides had the gold on the bottom and the blue on the top. Which way is this picture anyway? Is it a sunset that hasn't yet come to reflect upon the pond? Or is it a blue winter sky and the morning sun that hasn't yet... From which way do you read life? From the beginning to the end? From where you are right now to where you're going to get? Or from where 
the destination is sure and what God might do between now and then. Frankly, that the latter is all we can actually do. The former is rife with mistaken presumptions that life's going to go this way, that I've got my plans, that, that, that everything will be just like this because I'm, and because I, and because... Hmm. What we do know is that the end is known, and we can trust that. The process in between is unknown, and we must learn in and through that. So, what is this promise anyway? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. What's the promise? I will bless and I will multiply. I will bless, that is faithfulness. I will multiply, that is fruitfulness. He has promised faithfulness and fruitfulness. And look at what happened, verse 16. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And Abraham had a lot of waiting that he had to do. His patience and trust was tested to the ultimate degree. Not only did he and his wife grow old without... Children, this promise of multiplication. But once he had that child, God asked of him to lay that child on an altar. Didn't take the life of the child in the end, but tested his patience to the very end. But he believed God. Romans chapter 4 verse says, verse 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted. What Abraham, what God did through Abraham in bringing out a, about a people, Israel, to bring about a man, Christ Jesus, he continues to do through us, this organism of the church, to reach the world for himself. He had to have a man to bring about a nation, to bring about a man to create an organism that would bring men, women, children to a faithful knowledge of himself. Matthew 28, he says, Make disciples one after another. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Now do it from here to there to there to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I will build my church, says Jesus Christ. Abraham waited and patiently received. Now, remember the insidious lie of mile 25? You've been at it for a long time. You want it to be over. The end isn't in sight. You're reading life from here to there. And you're partway through and you want to quit. Nothing seems to be happening. You're a long way from home. What does receiving look like? 
It looks like the patience of Abraham in the certainty of God. I can trust this. Why? Because he said it. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 16 through 19. We continue to read. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And an oath confirms what is said and puts an end to the argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. So he makes a promise to Abraham and he swears by himself no greater guarantee. As he can't swear by anything greater than himself. So he says, I swear on my own self, this will happen. The first of these two unchangeable things is a promise. And we can look back on it. Reading from the end to the beginning. We can look at Abraham's life and story and say, God made a promise and guess what? He did it. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it completely. You know, it's, it's no doubt that, a, uh, there's no question why Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, we stand in this privileged place in the pilgrimage of it all to be able to look back on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and a myriad of other faithful saints recorded in Scripture for us that we can look at and say, look how faithful God has been to His promise. Put yourself in the shoes of sandals of Abraham. I mean, God just appears one day and says, do this. Apparently, He had some Ability, certainly faith, but he had some knowledge of God's goodness that he could look back on. Couldn't have been much. <laughs> and say, I can do this because God's, God's true to his promise. Either that or he, he was just a, an amazingly trusting individual who said, okay, God, I'll do that. You make a promise, I'll believe it. Whatever the case, you and I find ourselves not in this kind of, of, of um, depth of perception, but this depth of perception. Has God ever made a promise and brought it about? Has He ever been true to what He said? Over and over and over again. And we read from the end to the beginning. We look back on it and say, there, 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 there. Not to, scripture, not to mention your own personal life, right? Some difficulty, some trial, some loss, some pain, some question, some provision. And you can look back and say, he did it again, right? 
You see, we read from the end to the beginning. He's true to his promise. But then there's another thing, and that's the oath. And implicitly, this is something that you're waiting for, because he's swearing, it will happen, so you've got to wait. Well, that's the patience part, right? You, you've got to wait. And you're looking forward to what will yet come. But you see, you can look at the end and know that he's true and say, I'm going to read life from the end back to the beginning. And Revelation tells us that when we get there, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be singing and praising God for all that He has done. Because He was true to His oath. We're going to spend eternity reading life from the end to the beginning and recounting time and time and time again the faithfulness of God as we look back. We sang about it. I will rise when He calls my name. That resurrection, that full healing, that completion of all that we could ever want. No more sorrow. No more pain. And we will praise God for all that He has done. It's kind of like we're backing into the future. Now, I've been playing with that concept. I've thrown it around to some of the resonant theologians around here. Can, can we say that? Are we kind of backing into the future? Sort of in the sense that we're reading, but, but I don't want to, it could be weak because, you know, like God's cruel and, you know, I can't see where I'm going. But when we turn and would walk, what does the Bible say about the path that we walk on? The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a floodlight into the future. Now, that part isn't in there. It's just one step. At a time. The the thing about the lamp is that it just does enough to to light the next step. And then you take that step and you can see the next one. But how far can you see back? It's like it's all illumined that way. And it's just one step at a time this way. And so we must continue to reflect on all that God has done, knowing that we can trust Him in all that He is going to do and accomplish. The one part that is illumined is the end. Because he's sworn it. And it will come about. And I mentioned this in that message of five things God cannot do. And it's summed up in verse 18. This is an encouragement to us. He cannot lie. And this, he says, we who have fled to take hold of this hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Flip over to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and let's read a little bit more about this amazing Abraham and the faith that he shows. Look at uh, verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see it? He didn't know where he was going. When he went, he could only rest on what God had already done. And he looked to the end 
of what God had promised. He read from the end to the beginning because he trusted God. And Jesus really does turn everything upside down. The same script of life as was shown in the video. Trouble, loss, blindness, failure, despair, pain, disappointment. That's reading from the here and now into the future. But Jesus turns it all upside down, takes the same script and uses those same things. It's not that they just go away. You will have trouble in this world, he said. And no servant is greater than his master. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. He's not taking it away. He's flipping the script. And he's saying those very same things I will use to take you where I want you to be. Using them for his purposes. And we can read from the end to the beginning. And when we do, the story is completely different. Here's the principle. Patience pays off when it's waiting on the right thing. Patience pays off when it's waiting on the right thing. And many times we're disillusioned, disappointed because we're waiting on the wrong stuff. We want things or we want solutions or we want answers that we demand. But our patience needs to be towards the right thing. God's promise that He will bless He is faithful. And He will multiply. He will make this pilgrimage we're in, for however you characterize it, fruitful to accomplish all that He wants in and through us. What does receiving look like? It looks like the patience of Abraham in the certainty of God. I can trust this. Reading from the end to the beginning, the promise of God, what it affirms is greater than any lie the enemy can ever tell you. So I want you to do something in in applying this truth this morning. This is what I want you to do. Identify one thing that God has done for you in His faithfulness. Turn this way. Think about it. You've seen it. You've known it. You've had some prayer answered. You've seen some act of God's goodness in answering your need. Think long and hard about that. What's he done? Read from the end to the beginning. Identify it. Then, turn to your current situation. In all of the reading this way that you might have identified with in that script. And the hopelessness. I can't even tell my kids that you can trust. I, I, you know, in this, and there's the pain, and there's the loss of that, and I just, I don't. And take that truth and apply it to this situation. And trust patiently. He has saved you in all of His faithfulness, right? Well, 
Does that mean that he can save that loved one? That you care for, that you're praying for? Can he do that? If he saved you, he can save anybody. Right? Can you patiently wait on that? (laughs) He's provided for you in his faithfulness, hasn't he? Wasn't there that time where you wondered and you were completely dependent on, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do now? And he answered. Remember? Now turn this way. Can he provide for you as you patiently wait for him? Is he sufficient? Does he run out of money? Is his bank account teetering on something? Would you ever look at God and say, where'd you spend all your money? You think he's got enough love for you still? Or is he starting to run out because of all of those other needy people in the world? Would you ever tell God that he's not big enough to care? Well, you would never say it, but... We clench our fists and say, where are you now? Can you patiently wait on his provision? See, patience pays off when you're waiting on the right thing. When you're perplexed. You ever had one of those situations? You just didn't know what to do? Lord, I need wisdom. I, I have no idea. What do I What do I do about this? I've tried. I mean, I've tried to do this and that and everything else. I just don't get it. I'm so confused. Did he ever answer that? Were you ever in one of those? And and then it was amazing how he took the script and ran it the other way. And and all of a sudden, there was an answer. Can, Can you turn this way? Can you wait, call out, ask for that wisdom again? And believe that he'll grant it again. Do you remember a time when there was loss, when there was pain, when there was some kind of unmerciful act of horror that happened in your life that you just felt overwhelmed by? And you didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't think you could take the next step or make it to the next day. And yet you did. And you're here. And God was good and He was sufficient. And He answered. And He gave you all that you needed. Can you turn? Look at your circumstances now? And say, well, you healed me there. I trust that you'll heal me now. Name it and apply it. I'm not doing name it and claim it here. I'm doing name it and apply it. See what he's done. Read from the end to the beginning. And then turn on your circumstances and apply 
what you know is true, patiently waiting on the right thing. God's faithfulness and His fruitfulness. We've got to keep going. We can't just party on the slab outside. It promises the future. But we've got to move beyond into the difficulty of raising the walls, building the roof, and finishing the inside. To overcome the lie of the one who is telling us at the 25th mile, you can't make it. You don't want to go any farther. Step one is receiving the promise of God. And what it affirms is greater than any lie the enemy can possibly tell you. He will bless in all of his faithfulness. And he will provide, multiply in all of his fruitfulness. I can trust. I must trust. This is receiving. Let's pray. How we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can see the end. That we can see. Our frustration grows in not being able to see three or four steps down the road. But we know that we will rise. There will be no more sorrow and no more pain that you will truly fulfill all that you say that you will do because we can look back and see all that you've done. Forgive us for our fear of the darkness as we stumble forward and build in us the faith of Abraham that believed you, trusted you, Patiently waited on the right thing. And would you then take this messy script of our lives, circumstances, and the difficulties and disappointment, disillusionment, and problems, and turn them upside down. Use them to make us all that you want us to be. Completing and perfecting us for your purposes. And we'll trust you because you are trustworthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.